The year is 1997, and they should have sent a poet or a podcaster. The movie, Contact. everyone and welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, and this is the podcast where Amy and I are endeavoring to find the best movies of all time. Season one was all about the AFI list. Season two has been about your list, our list, building the best list. And right now we are in the middle of our space miniseries, uh, which I am so excited to dig back into after a little time away. Amy, I'm sorry I've been away. Thank you for uh, running this entire show while I've been gone. I missed you, and I'm so glad we get to make contact. Oh, I like it. And you know, Amy, I have to say that maybe I have a better connection now to space films because I feel like I've been out of sorts recently. I, we were shooting nights. That's why I haven't been able to do the show. I was shooting nights for about three weeks, which totally messes up your system. And because I've never been to space, I'm going to say that probably shooting nights and being in space are about the same thing. And I'm sure all the astronauts out there that listen to this program probably will agree with me. I mean, what, you were shooting nights not too far away, like Ventura County, right? I mean, Ventura County, home of the Costco where Ricky Schroeder assaulted uh, that... <laughs> guy out in front. I mean, by the way, can I just say something about this? Not that this show needs to go into this thing. Can we be over this trend of like attacking people who work at stores about masks? Like, I get it. Like, if you want to be an anti-masker, that's your own thing. I don't need to get into that. Uh, It's dumb, but I won't get into it. I'm just going to say, but we don't need to attack the people who work at these stores. I think it's the lowest of the low. Like, this guy's not making the rules. He's just keeping everybody safe. Fucking Ricky Schroeder. No, like, it's the dumbest thing on the planet. It's the dumbest thing on the planet. I'm not going to Ricky but, but Schroeder's also, job. It just makes you look dumb. We've been doing this over a year. You're still surprised? Where yeah. Have you been? Come Where on. Have you been? Where have you anyway, been? When you were in uh, Ventura County, I have to ask, uh, do you feel like you got closer to God? You know, Amy, that's a, uh, an interesting question, I, but I believe I answered. I said I was in Ventura. I mean, elevation-wise, I was definitely higher, but uh, I wouldn't, uh, I don't want to answer that question well then i don't know if i get to send you back to ventura we'll see what happens Uh, um (laughs) love that we're doing contact bits right at the get-go um i'm excited for this episode and i'm excited to see how people have responded to our last two episodes which were our live episodes that we did where we were doing these spool parties in the beginning of quarantine and i feel like i want to kind of maybe dive back in and do another uh live episode or two where we can kind of embrace uh, more popcorn favorite films, especially as we're coming up to summer. Hell yeah, man. Those were fun. Those were fun. I know. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do anything. I, I'm, I have so much energy right now. I want to just tear apart the whole world. Let's go for it. I am ready. Well, let's just jump in and let's Did you hear that? I said unspooled it, but I guess it got knocked out by static. I am absolutely calling some sort of meeting of Congress. That was a terrible joke. (laughs) (laughs) The year is 1997. 
The Lion King debuts on Broadway. The first successful cloned mammal, a sheep, is cloned from genetic material extracted from a mammary cell. They name the clone Dolly after a famous country superstar, Dolly Parton, who is known for her exceptional mammary glands. Boy, oh boy, that was weird, right? That we admitted that and that we did that. Weird. Anyway. That was a weird-ass time. But thank you for the reminder that Dolly has been at the forefront of many medical discoveries. I appreciate you, Dolly, and thank you for keeping me safe this summer. Oh, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Praise Dolly. Uh, 1.5 billion people watched the televised funeral for Princess Diana. Madeleine Albright becomes the first female Secretary of State in U.S. history. The bodies of 39 cult members of Heaven's Gate were discovered after they died by suicide in hopes of hopping on a spaceship following the Hale-Bopp comet. The first book in the Harry Potter series is published, and audiences are watching Titanic, Men in Black, Batman and Robin, and today's film contact. Amy, who's in it? Who made it? Who directed it? What's it about? Give me the stats. All right, I'm ready. So contact. This is Robert Zemeckis's follow-up to Forrest Gump. The first movie he made after Forrest Gump was the biggest, most, I will say, titanic achievement Mm. of his career. Oscars, money, all of that. Um, In contact, in our space series, is probably the, arguably, the most to that moment of when it was made accurate film about what would happen if with scientists, with the government, with private business, with spiritual leaders, with spiritual terrorists, with the rest of us people on Earth, if our planet suddenly did find a signal from outer space that was trying to communicate with us. Now, why is context so accurate? It is because of the writers. Um, the screenplay is by James V. Hart and Michael Goldenberg, but the story from idea all the way back in the 70s to 100-page treatment to source novel is by Carl Sagan. Ugh, I don't, he, he needs no introduction, but I'll just give you a moment. He is, he's the creator of Cosmos, and he is, at that time, he was America's most famous and well-connected space genius. He knew everybody had to toe. He knew all the government people. He knew all the scientists. He knew how this worked. And he wrote the script alongside his wife, Anne Druyan, who, who played a big part in his creation as well. Now, as for the scientists they created... She is played by Jodie Foster. Her name is Eleanor Arroway, and she is a researcher for SETI, that's the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, who has dedicated her life listening to radio frequencies for some sort of truth, some sort of message from the beyond. Early on, she has a different kind of interaction. She has a one-night stand with a very weird spiritual guru played by Matthew McConaughey, and then he goes on and spends the whole rest of the film trying to like keep her on Earth because he hopes that they can date while trying to make her agree that science has room for spiritual faith. There's a lot of characters in here. I'll just run through a few because we're going to be talking about so many people. There's... um. She tangles with these like government type schmoozers who are played by Tom Skerritt and James Woods, and they're trying to take over her discovery for their own purposes. Um, there's a mysterious mega billionaire who's played by John Hurt. Um, there's her dead father who shows up at one point, played by David Morse. There's William Fickner who plays like her mentor of sorts, Kent Clark. There is a lot going on here, and it's a movie that I think feels really credible. Uh, let's take a listen. If it works, and you travel to Vega at even close to the speed of light, When you come back. If you come back. If you come back. You'll only be four years older, but over 50 years would have passed here on Earth. Basically, yeah. And everybody that you care about will be gone, dead, and buried. If you came back, if you survived at all, which... Look, Palmer, nobody's saying this is dangerous, right? I... uh... The rest of the candidates and myself, we, we fully understand the implications, the risks that we're taking. Why? 
Because it's a historic opportunity, because the world needs... You, Ellie, you. You personally. And by doing this, you're willing to give your life. You're willing to die for it. Why? From as long as I can remember, I've been searching for something, some reason why we're here. What are we doing here? Who are we? If this is the chance to find out even just a little part of that answer, I don't know. I think it's worth a human life. Now, Contact came out on July 11th, 1997. And I'm very excited to play the song that was number one that weekend in the zeitgeist because the song that was number one on the Billboard chart. Okay. I just want to say, as you're listening to it, imagine Matthew McConaughey's character karaokeing this to Jodie Foster as she gets ready for her goodbye party to go to the beyond. It is, of course, I'll Be Missing You by Puff Daddy and Faith Evans. It's kind of hard with you not around in heaven smiling down watching us while we pray for you every day we pray for you till the day we meet again and my heart is where i keep a friend memories give me the strength i need to proceed strength i need to believe my thoughts big i just can't define really solid and you know what we should take this moment before we go on to say r.i.p notorious big i would like to think that he is in a better place where whatever science and spirituality meet i hope notorious big is there I would hope to travel to space and have Notorious B.I.G. speak to me like Ellie's father did in this movie. Spoiler alert. Uh, oh, I love it. And, you know, all of his Hype Williams videos looked like he was already in outer space. I, I was going to say there's a big, you know, I know that Carl Sagan was very involved in, you know, this film. But maybe who's to say he could have been very involved in, in those videos and maybe even Mace's videos. I mean, you know, there's there's some sort of connections here, I feel like. It's true, and you know, Carl Sagan died before the movie came out in theaters, so I think we could we could see this song as a tribute to him as well. Wow, we really are making contact across the board here. <laughs> you know, Amy, I want to talk about this movie right off the bat and just say that my interaction with this film has been really interesting because uh, it was a film I saw in the theater. It was a film I bought on Blu-ray when I first had it, and I really loved it. And then I feel like, I started to buy into this notion that this was not a good movie. Like people are like, oh, contact. You know, there wasn't this enthusiasm about the film. And I started to feel like, oh, did we maybe make a a bad choice in picking this film? And then rewatching it, I just absolutely loved it. It's a very, very different film uh, than probably the other films we'll be talking about, especially in space. But I think it's such a a beautiful film about faith and science and really probably the most truthful film about space and space travel that we've, we've seen. Yeah. I mean, the listener comments wanting us to do an episode on contact were so overwhelming that I was surprised to go back and look at its Rotten Tomato score and realize this film, it was positive, but not great. It was like a 66%, which is not high. And, and so, um, I mean, I have a theory, which I guess we'll get to when we read the negative reviews, that we as a culture, we're still mad about Forrest Gump and taking our anger at Forrest Gump out on contact. Oh, interesting. I think that happens. Like you're mad at a director and you think he's lame. So you go into his next film with the framework of resentment that they've built up for three years about Forrest Gump long enough for us to all turn on Gump. 
I think that turn on Gump happened fairly fast. Yeah, you're so, right. We see that happen yeah. a lot, I feel like. You get the anger or the backlash if the film was too good, the next film gets unfairly... Uh, you know, maligned just because like, well, we shouldn't give that much praise to something like it's, it's a really interesting uh, position to be in as a filmmaker. When you make something that is truly iconic, that you have to either top it or pay penance for the reception as it kind of fades in a way. Yeah. There's an audience overcorrection. Yeah. That I think is really harsh. And also maybe people just didn't know where to put contact in his list of films, because he's coming out to this film after doing stuff like Roger Rabbit after Back to the Future, like Contact is in a way, even though it goes to space, his most grounded movie. One million percent. He uses all of his tools to make something that is so grounded. For example, you know, in Forrest Gump, you're full of all those cameos where Forrest is meeting, you know, presidents and he's digitally inserted into it. And it and it's definitely a gimmick where here they use Bill Clinton as the president, who was the president at the time, and they fit him in seamlessly to the film. It actually makes the movie feel a little bit more weighted, especially in a time, and I'm probably messing up my years, where there are movies like Armageddon and Deep Impact, where we're seeing our Morgan Freeman presidents. And, you know, a lot of fake presidents were on camera in big movies. And to see actually Bill Clinton there seamlessly put in was really exciting. And that wasn't actually even the original plan. The original plan was to be Sidney Poitier, but he turned it down. Um, but I like how they were able to to mix stuff. And I feel like that technology here, it it makes the film a lot more grounded. All the big NASA scenes and everything. Like I feel like all the technology that he had kind of figured out with Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump all come into play. And it makes me want to see him do more movies like this and he is right because then he goes off the rail again yeah he learns how to make the fantastical look real and then he just starts going off into mocap and i'm like oh but bro you kind of synergized everything perfectly here i mean i i hadn't seen this film before Um, oh wow so what was your yeah what was your reaction to it well i was like how did they get bill clinton to agree to be in this movie because it was really good i was like i mean i was did they did he just say it was cool like, why was he willing to do this? And then I and then I learned, like, the history behind it, which is they really had wanted it to do to be a fictional president, like you said. But then as they were making this movie, Bill Clinton uh, gave a speech that we had discovered this meteorite that had landed from Mars. And in the meteorite, there are these shapes that looked like maybe they were biological organisms. So as they're making contact, Bill Clinton gives this actual speech. I am determined that the American space program will put its full intellectual power and technological prowess behind the search for further evidence of life on Mars. And when he said stuff that sounded like they could pull it and then put it into the film, they're like, well, that's it. We have to make this Clinton now. Like, we have to do Clinton. And so, I mean, well, here's them talking about how they pulled it off. This is a series of shots that we did where Bob asked us to create a character who um, we couldn't by sort of more traditional ways get in the film, and that's the actual current president of the United States, Bill Clinton. So this is the uh, original video of Clinton speaking in the cabinet room, and what we did is shot a plate with our current day actors with an empty chair ready for Clinton. We took a stand-in's body and then cut Clinton's head off, placing it on the body, and mixed that back in. 
and you can see the original video of Clinton. What we do is we cut a mat for him, use the mat to simply slip him into another scene. So we weren't really changing what he was saying, we were changing really the location he was in. Is everybody in? So we're taking him out of the rose garden, putting him into the press room. As you can see, we'll mix the two together, seamlessly blend him into a new background. So as I flip back and forth here, you can see that we've actually changed the check pattern on his tie, the color of uh, his suit in general, and also mixed in James Woods and some of the other characters in the film. They pulled it off so good that like, they got a sternly worded letter from the Clinton administration being like, we do not approve that you did this. But they didn't do it until after the film came out. Like, wow. Like, I mean, because now we're all into like deep fakes and things about presidents saying things they didn't say. And here he actually said most of this. They just transported his body into where they needed it to go for the film. But but in a way, this is kind of like the first deep fake because we knew Nixon was dead when he hung out with Forrest Gump. But this is something else. An actual sitting president being like, so let's talk about the aliens we're discovering. This is crazy. Well, and they didn't. I'm surprised that they actually wrote that letter because he's not. Um, shown to be anything but presidential. You know, his speeches feel like they are optimistic and hopeful. He doesn't seem like they're creating a, a negative narrative around him. Now, they do have him working in the White House with James Woods, who is incredibly duplicitous, and there is a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. So you might think like, oh, they're saying Bill Clinton would be a part of a cover-up. Uh, but... I didn't take it that way. Now that I say it out loud, I'm like, well, I could see that. I mean, honestly, knowing how 1997 and Bill Clinton, the rest of Bill Clinton's uh, uh, time in office was going to go with the Lewinsky scandal, which I think what was about to break. Mm. I imagine if this had come out even like six months later, either the Clinton administration would be like, great, show us doing good things, please. Yeah, please. Or or the movie would have been like, we don't want you in our movie anymore. <laughs> it's kind of like the one moment where it was okay and it made sense. Well, you know, talking about this idea of like striving for realism, I think the thing that really connected me to this film was it talked about something that I feel like is very hard to communicate in a big budget Hollywood film, right? This idea of faith and science and belief and and even the alien encounter is very small. I, I would put it up to close encounters in the sense of you're building all towards this moment. There's no big reveal, right? Like I feel like Close Encounters does that really beautifully. I feel like this movie does it really beautifully. And I don't know if some of the backlash on, in this film is because of that. Like, you're expecting, like, we're going to meet aliens. We're going to see what they feel like. We're going to see what they look like. But this movie is much more concerned about, I think, the emotions of the character, some larger issues. And I could see that that being a little bit of a backlash. I, I don't know. I could see that people, like, getting frustrated with that. Yeah. I mean, especially when it comes out, I think, a week, maybe two weeks before Men in Black. So you're like, Robert Zemeckis, the guy who made Forrest Gump, it's the next big hit of the summer. Oh, it's cerebral. I don't know how I feel about this, but this movie has Will Smith and like a talking pug alien. So I'm right. I'm geared more towards that. It reminded me, I don't know if I've, I must have told you about one of my favorite books, James Mishner's Space. Oh, no. 
it's like the greatest book ever made. Okay. Um, but it's like James Mishner who does those, you know, nonfiction, yeah. but fictionalized histories. Yeah. He did one that's the space race starting from World War II and the German rock um, engineers who come over to America, um, going all the way up to the early 80s. And the theory that that book builds to is um, that after mankind went to the moon, that that was too small of a goal. Because it was like we could check it off. Like it wasn't actually that hard. We went to the moon, we checked it off and we came home and it didn't furthermore explore exploration really. But at the same time, it was such a a perspective shift for the people on earth that it like, that the moon landing basically kickstarted the next wave of like people caring about horoscopes, people getting into crystals and spiritualism, a religious freakout that was like countrywide because we were all like, well, if that's man's place in the universe, we started to cling more to things like religion and spirituality. And it made the country backslide against science. And so the idea of this movie kind of wrestling with that question of like science and, and spirituality of our place in the universe at the forefront I find that so fascinating, even though I have to say, like, I've never, ever seen the contradiction. And I just think it's so strange that there is one. Well, yeah, I think what I really liked about this movie was the scope, right? Yes, you have the personal story, you have the political story, but you really also see how the world or at least the United States reacts. Like when she is driving through um, that essential, like, like a little Burning Man festival for the aliens. And you see it time and time again throughout the film, like how it affects people in this movie. And yeah. it's religion, and it's take me with you, and it's the end is near. And it is interesting that this is the year that uh, the Hale-Bopp suicides happen, you know, where people thought we're going to go on the spacecraft and we're going to, you know, get there. It's this, this fear of the movie like okay well if we do have contact is there going to be a rash of you know mass suicides and we were seeing elements of that we've seen that you know obviously we saw it with Hale-Bopp but there is that fear and I think that they captured that in a really interesting way because I think a lot of the times when we see aliens we don't really get into how the world is reacting to it you know yeah. uh you know except for screaming and running down the block like we were we were seeing something much more grounded and I think that's why that Gary Busey's son, Jake Busey, I'm only going to refer to him as Gary Busey's son. Well, Jake Busey is actually a really interesting character because that religious fundamentalism and and his want to destroy this thing because he doesn't want that contact because it it somehow is wrestling with his God and the whole idea of God and this. I, I love that idea of like that was a major part of this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a religious terrorist. He's a religious terrorist. Right before, you know, four years before 9-11, when religious terrorism became the main thing we talk about all the mm -hmm. time and it hasn't gone away. Like he's a early proto-religious terrorist who's still the same kind of religious terrorist I think we need to be talking about more. Like homegrown, domestic, like we need to be working on this, like what's happening here. And the idea that this film had Hale-Bopp happen earlier this year, like March, I think Hale-Bopp was March, this film comes out in July they insert it into the film. Like they put it into a news broadcast. Like this movie couldn't be more up to the minute topical in our reactions to things. Let's actually play that clip that you're talking about. The one where uh, we're in the car with Jodie Foster as she's driving into this whole like chaos that has broken her out around her, her antenna site. Up, 
You know what I think is funny? I, I will two things. Like one, I think it's funny how that scene kind of mimics a bit of the opening that through like audio, you're kind of going through so many like strata of time, right? That opening yeah. where you are going backward with all of the radio waves. He's like capturing so much stuff through audio. I just think that's neat. Although I think it's really funny that in that opening scene, it's just like going back in time from like new stuff to old stuff. The song that he picks for new to kind of represent new is like the crash test dummies. Well, okay, but, listen, do but, you hear the crash test dummies? Yes, like, I oh. do. Yeah, but, he's like the crash test dummies. That'll really represent today. But you didn't even. But you didn't even hear the ones before that. Was it Green Day? Like what was that? Third Eye Blind. Oh God. Semi Charm Life into Spice Girls. That's a good song, Wannabe. So you got a little Spice oh, Girls in there. Those are good. Uh, then Crash Test Dummies. Uh, then uh, Lagon Wagons. Uh, uh, Angry Days. Mr. Broken Wings. Then you go into Funky Town. Uh, Taste of Honey. Boogie Oogie Oogie. R two D two Whistling and Beeping from Star Wars. Uh, the theme from Dallas, uh, which then goes into Disco Inferno. I'm Not a Crook, One Small Step for Man, uh, Robert Kennedy Shot in a Hotel, Andy Griffith Show, I Have a Dream, JFK Shot, uh, Theme from Twilight Zone, Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini, uh, and then you have Valare, uh, Have You Ever Been a Member of the Communist Party, Lone Ranger, A Date Which Will Live in Infamy, Over the Rainbow from Wizard of Oz, and then Hitler's Speech. Oh, and also... I think that there is some, is it We're in the Money? Some Busby Berkeley? Oh, interesting. I didn't have that on my list. Oh, well, you know, me and Busby, I'm like connected. I know, you're I gotta there. I got to rip my Busby. I got to rip my Busby. But I love the way that that, that opens because it is basically like rings on a tree. It's yeah. the reverberations of our world out into space. And I love that idea that we are, you know, we talk about this idea that we are energy and, and we are, you know, we are leaving some sort of imprint, you know, at every given point, like we, we are creating energy is kind of pushing things out. I just love the way the movie opens. Cause it's sort of like this, this prologue to our world, right? You know, like we are sending out this, this transmission and it, it got me really, uh, I think also in the moment because we go into loud to quiet and it just sort of sets the tone. Well, yeah. Okay. Let's play a little bit of it. So it's like fresh mm -hmm. in people's memory. Um, but but yeah, like when it goes to quiet, I love that you're thinking musicals because I was thinking it reminded me of overtures. You were, we were yes, talking about overtures. With that's like what I meant. Her. Over. That's it's that's really exactly that kind of thing where you're where the film itself is saying like get in the mood of awe, mm -hmm. right? Because you're pulling back. It's getting more and more. I mean, to be honest, when it starts by Earth, it makes Earth look kind of like a junk planet, right? Where yeah, we sound like. We sound like you wandered into some really nightmarish thrift store with like clown heads. I mean, that's what we sound like. Absolutely. And, and to pull back and then have, I think it's like almost a full minute of silence watching watching our spot in the universe. 
if that's not, I mean, that's like one of the strongest tone setters that this film could have done. Just like appreciate where we are, appreciate how beautiful this is. I adore that. There's so many things about this film that reminded me of 2001. And obviously 2001 is this, you know, I I think so far in watching all these films with you, is still one of the films that that sticks out to me the most. Is that Um, because we saw it together and I drank a Red Bull? That was pretty amazing. And I had uh, some red vines, which I had under duress because I'm in L.A. and I'm forced to eat those garbage sticks. Twizzlers for life. uh, Twizzlers for life. Um, But there is something so beautifully artistic about it, but also science-minded. And I feel like this movie, in many ways, is the closest successor to 2001 in the sense of it is science-minded, it is taking very small steps in a way to show what would go on. And even the end has similarities. You can't deny that this film was influenced by 2001. I think the big difference is Arthur C. Clarke, obviously, he writes 2001. Carl Sagan writes Contact. Both people incredibly science-minded, but one a little bit more Jules Verne-like in the sense of using science to create really interesting fiction, uh, kind of like what you would see with like The Martian or something like that. Whereas Carl Sagan is just a science mind, and they were able to wrap a plot around something that really is based in science. Yeah. And what's funny, though, is like Arthur C. Clarke invited Carl Sagan to meet uh, Kubrick when they were making 2001. Oh, wow. And Carl Sagan was like, here's what I really think you need to do with your film, Mr. Kubrick, sir. I think you need to not show the aliens. Like, because no matter what a human being does, uh, we'll never be able to capture what an alien looks like. We're not creative enough. We don't have the brain to really handle it. Like, we can't imagine what an alien could be. And anything you come up with is just going to be dumb. And at the time, Kubrick was trying stuff like, I think, acrobats with like puffballs and hula hoops painted on them or umbrellas. Like he was trying to make aliens in the movie and he got mad that Carl Sagan told him not to put aliens in it. And he was like, I don't ever want to see this guy again. Like he told Arthur C. Clarke, like, don't bring him around. Fuck this guy, essentially. But then as he was making the film, he was like, okay, he was right. And so he didn't put the aliens in. But that, but that's, but there is that like that kind of connection that both of these films say we can never comprehend what an alien looks like. So you have to use your light or your imagination or they have to like build that room to make you feel at home the way that they build yes. the, the, the beach here. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love that idea because I think it actually is way more fulfilling in the same way that Spielberg doesn't show the aliens for like or does it in a very gentle way in Close Encounters. Like you see it, you get a taste. It looks a little bit like what we have pictured aliens look at, but they don't go, we don't go full into it, you know? And I think that that's actually, it makes the film, I think it just holds a little bit more because it can be what you want them to be. And it it makes the film age better. It's always going to make a film age better. Um, Did you think it was interesting that like Carl Sagan was trying to make this film for so long? I mean, this has been something that really was a passion project. I mean, so much so that, you know, Coppola tried to stop this movie from being made because at one point they developed contact together uh, for like a children's television workshop program. Um, he... Well, there's some debate about Oh, that. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, I... Yeah. Oh. But you are correct. Like, 
Two weeks after Carl Sagan died, Francis Ford Coppola sues his estate. They're already making contact, like at this point, like they'd been making it forever. And he's like, well, actually, before he died, you know, go like now that he's not around, I'll say that mm-hmm. before he died, we had worked out this idea. And and Carl Sagan's widow, for one, was just absolutely aghast. She's like, I can't even believe he's trying to claim that, like, he came up with this idea. Like, you know, we came up with it together. The producer was like, that's absolutely nonsense. Like, I was in a room as, like, he and his wife came up with this. And also the idea that maybe you talk to Carl Sagan about doing a movie about a space scientist. Like, that's who Carl Sagan is. Like, you can't say that you've put a claim that anything you talked about that was, like, sort of his life is, like, your idea with him. Right. So the so the case got completely thrown out. Um, but the idea that Francis Ford Coppola waited until he died, I think, grossed so, people out. Yeah, it's that's, really gross because he waited until he couldn't say, what are you talking about? That and is, he tried to make it so he would have a right whether or not contact even went forward. But they're already shooting it like it was a, it was a dick move, man. Yeah. I mean, Carl Sagan and Andrian. Uh, began working on this film in 1979. They wrote a film treatment that was like 100 pages long. They set up contact at Warner Brothers. uh, And then it stopped. And then Sagan published it as a novel in 85, right? And then it got, people were excited to to get it back and came back in 1989. And then uh, it was going to be directed by Roland Joffe. And then uh, he drops out in 93. And then Zemeckis comes in um, and and kind of finally takes it to the finish line, but that's from seventy nine to ninety seven. I mean, that this has been a true passion project, and I think there's little fun details in the actual book that didn't make it into the film. But this is clearly a story that he wanted to tell, and and I think it was told at the right time. I, I think you could actually remake it now in a way as well, because I think it would the the themes would hold up again. But as you get more and more technologically advanced with what we could do, like that space sequence, not the actual flying through space, but the creation of the the pad and the four rings going around, like that looked incredibly realistic. Yeah, I know it's true. I mean, I think part of the reason why it fell apart is their first producer in the 80s. They had two of them and one of them all of his ideas sound like garbage. Okay, like what he wanted to do to the script is he was like, well, the thing with this female character, like I think it would be better if we gave her an estranged teenage son who doesn't talk to her. Ugh. Because like how amazing is it that she's like a woman who wants to like communicate. But the, yeah, the one thing she can't do is communicate with her own son. And you just want to make it like, they just wanted to like feminize her. Like she can't be a cool scientist unless she's failing as a woman or whatever. And then he wanted her at the end to like have a baby, like all of this bullshit. And I I appreciate that, you know, Carl Sagan and Anne really held firm to this idea that she's a scientist first. Yeah. Scientist full stop. Like she doesn't have to be wrestling with her uterus at any point. Like that brings me into this whole idea of the Matthew McConaughey character, because I really like what he represents in the film And there was, like, I was looking at it, I was like, do we need this romantic relationship? And I wanted to get your take on it. Like, was that a purely Hollywood addition? Do we need that? Because that's the time. We need to, we do need to see her having some conflict there. But I also would argue that she is so focused that it's more like Matthew McConaughey is so into her and she's kind of doing her own thing. So... 
there is a nice moment at the end because he really does believe in her and she believes in him. And, and that's, that really is the power. It's not like the power of love. It's really the power of, I'm supporting you. I believe in you. And that's, and that's her arc in many respects. It's like, here's a woman who no one believes. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, because the last time we see him is when he tells her that he believes her. Yeah. We don't see him again. Like, he is not there at the end. That The final shot is, like, her listening again by herself on a canyon. And he's mm-hmm. not there. There's no, like, and she turns around and he's there with sandwiches and or a martini. Like, good job, honey. You did it. it. So I want to believe at the end she's alone. But, I mean, it's interesting that I want right. to believe that so much. It's, like, it's important to me to have this film where, like, her happy ending isn't she found love. Because that's never what her quest was anyways. And I feel like if they had given her the happy home life at the end, it's not, or maybe she even has it off camera, but it's not what we needed to see to know that she wound up okay. She wound up okay because she went and she was heard and she saw a cool thing. Right. Not because Matthew McConaughey is making her a martini. Yeah. Because she's a beer person, but like he's not cracking open a brewski and being like, good job, baby. How are the radio waves today? Well, the thing that she needed to hear was, I believe you, like not, I love you. And, and, you know, it's funny. What I love about this film is this idea of people are so quick to tell you you're wrong, you're stupid, this is not going to work. And then the minute it works, they are the first people to say, I actually am involved in that. It was my thing. I, I want yeah. to take credit for it. And and you see that time and time again. Yeah. And I think you click that, the slides. I'm in charge now. Like, exactly. Yeah. And I think to have this as a a woman especially hits two things. Because I think that that's a universal truth. Male or female, uh, the person with the higher rank of power will always try to take more of the credit or, you know, if, if they can. Um, and to see how she is kind of put to the side, even though she was the real, like she is the reason she is the reason at multiple points in this movie, why we go forward. Um, And that's why I was thinking like, you could remake this now and you could see the story really well told. And I think that that's probably Anne, uh, Anne's influence on this as well. Like, you know, to see it from that point of view, how hard it would be to get this into the, into the zeitgeist, but also how hard it would be as a woman to get this into the zeitgeist. Who believes a woman in science? You know, uh, I think there's something really interesting there and how much harder they were on her than they were on Tom Skerritt's character. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like there is, I mean, they, as they were making this, they sat down with like several female scientists and like brought them into the studio and were like, tell me about what it's like in your day to day. Like, talk to me about it. And that makes this film, I think, have a lot in common with the Silence of the Lambs, right? Mm. Because it's like Jodie Foster going through this world that's mostly men. She has ideas. Right. Nobody wants to hear them. She's incredibly bright. You know, she's like, please listen to what I have to say. And it isn't about that. And it be- and like, this is, I think, a film about women in the workplace, just the way that Silence of the Lambs is also a film about that. And you even have the parallel of like the creepy mentor because, okay, right. She got, she, the rich billionaire, the John Hurt. I love that this film has so many like nods to Alien, by the way. Um, but that John Hurt like pulls her up on his airplane because he's like beyond the point of living on Earth. He wants to be, you know, Elon musking it up in the sky 24-7. Yeah. And he sits her down and he's like, well, I know a little bit about you, right? Like he's like, 
I've researched you. Eleanor Ann Arroway, born 25th August 1964, De Pere, Wisconsin. Mother, Joanna, died from complications during childbirth. Early testing indicated high predisposition towards science and mathematics. Father, Theodore, advised to provide enrichment activities along these lines, did so conscientiously until his death from myocardial infarction, November 10, 1974. I mean, when I saw that, I like straight up started laughing because you know what that is? What? Okay, I'll just, I'll just play this. After your father's murder, you were orphaned. You were 10 years old. You went to live with cousins on a sheep and horse ranch in Montana. I mean, isn't this fascinating? Like this world of like Jodie Foster, who's not making a ton of movies even at this point. Like she hadn't made a movie since 1994. And she's in these films about like tough women who are really smart, who get psychoanalyzed by the men around them and people take credit for their ideas. This is a bit silence in space. The the silence of the of the phasars. No, I, by the way, I'll take some of that. I think you're totally right. I didn't see that connection because I do feel like this character that John Hurt plays and I love it. I kind of see it as like a deranged, it is like a deranged Bill Gates. I, I, in a way that I feel like he's a very, um, another person who believes who was ostracized and made to be a fool at the end. Like he takes the blame for this thing, but he is a supporter of her. Like, you know, and I guess Hannibal Lecter is a supporter of Clarice too. You know, he's helping her and manipulating her, but he also believes in her. You know, if you want to continue on to think about yeah, like the Thomas Harris, right. like, you know, so he is helping her every step of the way. He's looking out for her. He's the one who says yes when everyone else says no. And, that dynamic is really similar, honestly. Yeah. Like can, can you trust this person who's who believes in you more than anybody else, even if they're like a crazy monster? Well, there, this idea that, I mean. Do only crazy <sighs> monsters believe in women? Like what's happening? Well, I mean, I was thinking about this thing. Do you need a man in your life to support you? But I would also say that what I liked about that, that character that he plays is that he's doing it on the side. No one knows. Like, yeah. no one knows. Like, he is just silently there. So he's not taking any of the credit. He's actually, and like William Fickner, who is there, but really there, I think, now I'm jumping way far ahead, but because he's blind, he's almost not a person anyone pays attention to as well. Like, he's just literally a pair of ears, and he actually helps her go on her way. And uh, But all these people who don't get respected or all these people are kind of shunned, and they're shunned because of their belief or their support. And this whole movie is about belief and support. I guess the battle is like, is belief the most important thing? Like what you believe in is inconsequential, but the idea that you believe in something is the most important. And when you believe in something, that's what connects all these people? I don't know. Oh, no, that's interesting because you're right. In this movie, the world is divided up into the camps of believers and non-believers. And it's not that she's a non-believer. It's that she means everything she says. Whereas right. like the real non-believers are the people like, like Tom Skerritt, also alien, who will say whatever he needs to say to get ahead. They're the people who will schmooze and like lie and be well-connected. And then they're the people who will hold firm to the truth that they saw, even if it makes them difficult or hard to be around. Yes. And she, but I also would say like she believes in life yeah, on another she planet. Believes. She yeah. believes like there's no proof until she gets proof. But she is willing to spend her entire life 
trying yeah. to reach this thing. And I think this idea of like, and this idea of like the belief in God is really interesting because I think it's a weaponized thing. I believe that Matthew McConaughey believes in God. I believe that everybody else who asks, like, do you believe in God is saying it, but doesn't really have that belief or just wants that like safety blanket of it. Like there's something I respect so much more of Matthew McConaughey's character. And I feel like that's what she's connecting to with him is like that he, she doesn't look at him as like, oh, you're a crazy person who just, you know, believes in religion and and I don't trust you. She, I think, respects that idea. Like he's also on a, a search for something. Oh, I mean, a sexy search, the way he introduces Ooh, yeah. it. I think that hurt my chances with that interview. What do you think? You're a priest? No, not really. I, uh, got my master's in divinity. Then I dropped out of seminary and went off and did some secular humanitarian work, coordinating efforts with third world churches. Couldn't live with the whole celibacy thing. You could, um, you could call me a man of cloth without cloth. Want to get out of here? I mean, of all the weird pickup lines, like, humble men of the cloth without a cloth, does he just literally mean I'm taking off my underwear? Like, I will uh, take off my underwear no, if you want on. me to? Yeah. But actually, I mean, I'll be honest, like, I think his character's kind of daffy. To, yeah. Like, he, I, like, honestly, he's, I think she's an incredibly realistic character. I like the mm-hmm. way she moves through the world. I like how she's, like, gets excited and twitches and maybe isn't, she's not like a, she's not like, a perfect person you know she has her flaws built in and she gets like you hear it in her voice when she gets excited that like rabid passion she has for things her excitement feels really real he feels crazy like he feels like you know like in the first draft of 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 top gun they wanted his girlfriend to be like a gymnast like he feels the matthew mcconaughey feels like the sexy gymnast character of this movie like i don't know why I mean, Jodie Foster said that she feels like he has, like, the kind of cliche female part. He's just doing it as a guy. Like, I will here represent everything that your main character doesn't have. But, like, what I'm trying to say, because now I feel like I'm talking in circles, is that, like, she feels real and he feels ridiculous. He feels like the most ridiculous thing in a movie of real people. Maybe because there is no actual counterpart to him that I know of. Like... Like, he's not even a man of a specific church, and yet he has, like, ascended in these four years to this point of being, like, a major political figure. You know, like, he's not representing, like, the Southern Christian Coalition the way, like, Rob Bowen no, is. He's, he's, he's like, of, a guru. Yeah. He's, like, like, if a healer became, like, see, the most influential man is, like, healer Oprah. Like, what is he? I Here's what I'll say. <sighs> I may be wrong on the timeline again, as I often am, but like he feels like a product of like the Celestine prophecy, right? This idea of like, he is a person who is a spiritual, he is in touch. He's communing with this idea of there is more there. I think in this time in the nineties, there was this idea of like, it, it didn't have to be attached to a religion. I think that that makes this movie actually more powerful. It's not about like my God versus your God. It's the idea of there is a greater power. What are, what are we trying to learn? Like, I think that that's, that makes this character more interesting. But I also feel like, how do you play that character? And, and this is where I fall in the middle of him because he, it's a weird character that is, 
there. But when I see him on Larry King, I listen to that and I go, that could be on Larry King right now. That feels like Matthew McConaughey yeah. in life. It feels like Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey is a daffy character, right? I feel like Matthew McConaughey took this character and folded it into himself. Yes. So in that way, it works. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like in that way, yeah. like that's who he is. And he has... You know, he has like a TED talk that's very similar. So whether or not that's Matthew McConaughey who then reads this and gets more invested in it, like there's something about him that feels incredibly pure in a world of people who are not pure. Like even Jodie Foster, she's all about science and she's looking at science and trying to get the data. And then all the politicians are trying to manipulate, you know, the data or trying to manipulate themselves into positions of powers. And he is the one who's kind of like, I'm just vibing in the room. Let's just feel the room. Like, what are we actually feeling? Like, are we all on the same page? Like, he's like the uh, part, like, he's a kind of like... Imagine if he came into the room while they're like hearing the pulsar beat and he's like, oh, I can do that on the bongos, man. I mean, but there is that there is that thing like that when you see him in Puerto Rico and stuff, like, you're like, there is something about it. So I, I agree with you that he's daffy, but I feel like, I think that we believe in, uh, this is maybe a bold statement. I'm not sure. I think we believe in aliens more than we believe in spirituality. Sometimes where we are, we're more, I think people who are like, I'm not religious. If you're not religious, that's totally fine. But I think it's interesting when you look at somebody like that, like he is representing, he's the yin to her yang. Like he is just as daffy as she is, right? But she is science minded and he is more about like, well, look, like I'm looking at signs about spirituality. What are we seeing here? He's not saying like, I don't know. I think that you're looking at two sides of a coin. Well, no, okay. I think right, I'm also yeah. maybe looking at the casting because then let's okay. play like a mental game. Okay. Because when this was going to be a George Miller movie, mm-hmm. George Miller wanted this to be played by Rafe Fiennes. Okay. I feel like if you kept all of this dialogue but had Rafe Fiennes, I would buy the character a little more. I would not. You wouldn't? No, because really? Rafe Fiennes, Because I think you need somebody like when you th- when you look at spiritual leaders. Like let's just look at Deepak Chopra, right? I'm just pulling one person out. He has a daffiness to him. It's very much like I want to talk to him. Like, like it's not Ray Fiennes. Like people who are leaders in spirituality, and there's many of them. Um, you look at Marianne Williamson. You look at uh, you. You look at. I mean, I'm thinking about people I've seen on Oprah a bunch of times as well. They have a daffiness to them. They believe in and and daffy is probably a, a pejorative word here because. It's sort of like, well, of course, they're a little kooky because they believe in spirituality, but it's like, it's just as kooky as anything else. I think you need, I think you need a little bit of lightness and Ray Fiennes doesn't have any lightness to him. I, I love Ray Fiennes and I think he's funny. It could be dramatic, but I don't think he has that quality. Like, I don't feel like, you know, I think that you need somebody who feels a lot more open to the world. Maybe I'm wrong. I guess. I mean, I don't know. I could see, I think it's. I think the switch to McConaughey as respected political figure is made. Maybe they're making a comment on the Clinton administration that I don't understand, that it's like the hippie baby boomer president. And so, of course, he's going to welcome McConaughey's in. Like, I don't know. He just seems he's like wearing that like blue cardigan to the space launch. Like he looks like a deadhead. I, I don't know. I, I struggle with his character for that reason. Like he, it's like they were like. Okay, we have a bunch of scientists, but now we have this golden retriever in a in a cardigan. Let's invite him in and take him very seriously. And he should also have a lot of power. Think about Dr. Strangelove, right? And and all the people they bring in 
in Doctor Strangelove to kind of help make this decision. Like, you know, they bring in more warmongering people there, but they also have all these, you know, it's like, who advises the president? And I think there are these spiritual advisors to the president. There are these people, these odd people in there because it's like we need another yeah, point of view. there were those crazy scam artists in the last administration, whatever they were. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, fair. Like, okay, maybe I'm also just being gruntled because like there's gruntled. Can I be gruntled and disgruntled? You, be, you can. Disgruntled, yeah. There was um, an interview I saw from Matthew McConaughey like when the movie came out. In the way that he described the character, I was like, really? Palmer was a messenger from Ellie's father. Uh, and just like in in real life, I think we all have those people that come in and out of our lives. Uh, and yeah, he, um, the two hats Palmer had to wear that bring up his personal conflict is he's in love with God and he's in love with Ellie. And his, his interest um, compete there in the, in, the, in the second act when he is in the position to um, direct her fate if she's going to go or not. And he makes a selfish decision not a godlike decision, you know? He makes a selfish one because he doesn't want to lose her. Mm. I don't know about the messenger from her dad. I don't and like also, that. The love, like the love popped up to me because I think you're right. Like, I think, I don't buy that they're really in love. I don't think she loves him. I think he thinks she's fascinating and he wants to sort of win her. But I don't think she takes him seriously as a love mate ever. But I, th- I think she respects and values him. She's glad he exists, but I don't see them as a love story. So when he said it was a love story, I was like, eh, really? I think that for his character, it's a love story. I think that's the only yeah. way you play that. I think it's the only way that you can play that movie. Um, I like mean, when because, he sells her out, ugh. Well, but he does, he does and he doesn't. Like, would you, I guess the question is, is like, wouldn't you? I mean, and, and it's hard. It's like, it's a hard, it's a hard needle to thread because he wants to see her succeed but he doesn't want her to die and there is this thing where it's like I look at I'll say you know my wife who I love so much and I think I put it on that level not my kids because my kids would be a whole different thing well I could put it on my kids you want to see someone that you love succeed but you also want to protect them even if like I would never want to see even if it's their dream, I would be very hesitant to let them do something that potentially kill them, right? So I I buy why he oh, why he okay. said, ties to sabotage her, Wait, right? But you're going to your kids and your wife. They had sex like four right, okay. years before once, right, and she okay, like right. ghosted him and didn't talk to him for four right, years. Okay, yeah, yeah. And now he's like, you don't get to go to space. Yeah. Although, I mean, I like that moment though because it is true when you look at um, polls. The number one type of person in America that Americans say at large they would not want to see as president is an atheist. Like atheists pull lower than pretty much everything. They pull lower than any other religion. They'd rather, and I say this because I think our country is really racist and closed-minded, but when they're given the choice between having a Muslim person in office, you know, a religion that has been really unfairly demonized for such a long time in this country, and an atheist, the country still goes with the the Muslim person of faith over yeah. an atheist. Like, yes. that's how much this country is uncomfortable with atheism. And so for her, that moment, I think, is powerful because that is true. And every time we have a politician come forth who I think isn't that religious but has to say they are, I get so just annoyed and disgusted with it on behalf of the country. Yeah, like why, like that we have to go through this pantomime of it where, yeah. where like Tom Skerritt knows he's saying the correct thing 
and you know that he doesn't believe it or you don't think he really does, not in the way he talks about it. I totally agree with you. And I think that this is why this movie is so interesting, because I think even feigning a connection to religion is important to a general uh, embracing of the community. Like we go to Trump and whatever you want to say about Trump, who cares? But the idea that like he goes in front of that church, he holds up the Bible, even though he holds up the, the wrong way. We never really saw him go to the church his entire time, except for, I think when he was on the campaign trail, you know, it's like, yeah, his this, favorite Bible verses, all of them. I like the new and the old. I like yeah, everything. Yeah. It's so bizarre, but we, but all you need to do is kind of bullshit your way through and like, okay, we're on your side. Whereas if someone was like, no, no, I have, a great idea for the country. And I like, I love that idea of like standing to your beliefs and not, and, and just being honest, but that's not the world that we live in and we'll never live. I, I, I think it's a hard world to live in where you, you have to kind of, you have to kind of play on these rules. So I, I think that that's the other thing too, about this movie, like true belief, you know, there is this idea, I think in this film too, where it's like, we're going to, are we like acting as missionaries? Like part of like the, what the world wants or, or what they're kind of, saying is like, well, you better believe in God because then we could at least get them on our side. It's like, what are we like? Why are we, why are we trying to colonize another planet? Like our first instinct is, well, we should bring our love of God because that's going to work right now. You know, it, 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 it's just an odd idea. And it's something that obviously colonialization has been going on for forever, but it is an odd idea that like, you know, our first instinct isn't like, what can we learn from them? Our first instinct is like, let's, like get in there and take it over from our point of view, which is so it's, I mean, it's a very American point of view. I feel like, I don't know if it's a, a worldwide view, but this movie is told very much through the sphere of an American yeah. point of view. I mean, it I was know. definitely worldwide when like the Spanish did it and the British right. Oh, did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. So yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that that's an interesting idea too. This idea of like not really even wanting to learn. And I think that that's what Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster represent this idea of wanting to to be wrong, to learn more, to be open to, to experiment with, to risk your life, to, you know, believe in something greater. And I think that that's this battle between the two of them. And, and what do you think about that moment when he says, you know, like, you know, how, show me that you love your dad. Can you show me that? Like, I actually what did, thought yeah. that was a really powerful moment. And I was so nervous that she was going to quote him when she was in her hearing. You know, yeah, when they were too. pressing right. her yes. to prove it, I was like, oh, I don't want a neat bow on this movie. Like, I didn't, yeah. we don't need that neat bow. So the fact that she didn't, I really, I, I admired. I was glad that that didn't happen. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that, w- I like, that was convincing. And it's funny, like, obviously, like, her character is really based, you know, like, yes, on these female um, scientists they interviewed, but, like, very much on Carl, on um, Carl Sagan himself, who spent his whole career being asked this question, like, do you believe in religion? Like, over and over and over again. He must have gotten asked this question, like... A gazillion times. I mean, here's one example of him getting it, asked it in like his answer. The word God covers an enormous range of different ideas. And you recognize that in the yes. way you phrase the question. <laughs> Running from an outsized, light-skinned male with a long white beard sitting in a throne in the sky and tallying the fall of every sparrow, mm-hmm. for which there is no evidence. To my mind, if anybody has some, I sure would like to see it. Um, To uh, the kind of God that Einstein or Spinoza talked about, which is very close to the sum total of the laws of the universe. Now, it would be crazy to deny that there are laws in the universe. 
And if that's what you want to call God, then of course God exists. Mm -hmm. And there are all sorts of other nuances. There is, for example, the deist God that many of the founding fathers of this country believed in, although it is a secret whose name may not be spoken in some circles, a, uh, a roi fainéant, a do-nothing king the God who creates the universe and then retires, mm -hmm. and to whom <clears throat> praying to is sort of pointless. Why would we use a word so ambiguous that means so many different things? It gives you freedom to what, define it. It you gives choose. you freedom to <clears throat> seem to agree with someone else with whom you do not agree. It covers over differences. It makes for social lubrication, but it is not an aid to truth, in my view. And therefore, I think we need much sharper language when we ask these questions. Sorry to take so long in answering this, but this is an important issue. Yeah, and I think, why do we, why do we hold people to such a high standard? Because it's like, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not about, do you believe, like, People want to know, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? But do they believe in God? And and what does that even mean? And what does everyone's belief? Because your belief in God versus your non-belief in God versus my belief in God versus somebody else's belief in God is totally different. It's all variables. It's not like, it's not a color. It's not a color. It's like no one sees, I don't think that anyone sees a belief in God exactly the same way unless you're in a system where you are uh, like this is like, it's so formal, right? Like you can have 10 people who believe, you know, you go to 10 different churches or 10 different synagogues and people are going to tell you different ways that they believe in God. But, but we all just want, I don't know. It's like, there's no universality to it. Like, you know, cause there are different gods. We believe in different things, but yet we just want people to say, I believe in it. Does that make yeah. sense? Or am I like not making sense? I don't know. I'm just trying no, to like, it does. Wrestle. And the idea that they seem to be that it seems, especially right now, that like science and God have to be at odds. You know, that like, yeah. in our, I think in our political leaders, it's, it's like a divide. You kind of pick one or you pick the other. And I've never understood that because I remember being a little kid and being like, why can't we say that when, you know, the world was created in seven days in the Bible, but evolution also happened? Why can't we just say that these are the same things? It's just like Bible time happens in different times. A right. day in a Bible is something else. And I never understood, like, I'm not, I'm not religious, mm -hmm. but like, I never understood why that mathematical leap was so hard. Like, why can't we just say that the same thing happened, but we're using different terms for people who want to be able to reconcile science in the Bible, like who want to believe in evolution, but also want to believe in, in the literal words of Genesis. I feel like everyone's religion is specific to them. And the idea that we are, uh, a world that is based in story. Like, that's how we have passed down everything, you know? Uh, whether it's, you know, a, a history book or it's a cave painting. Like, we tell a story. And sometimes complex things are easy to be told in simple ways, right? There weren't the tools and the words to describe certain things, but it's locked in. And the idea that, like, we we have locked into certain things as absolutes is one of the most infuriating things. Like, well, the Bible says, well, it's like, what, why isn't the Bible like an, uh, like something that evolves like, over as religious leaders continue to like tell these stories or look at these, like it's, or why do we 
the same way you look at the Constitution. Why are we not evolving this? Like, how could someone in 1776 be like, well, this is the problems are very different. The world is very different. And and the way that we tell these stories are very different. We just and but we lock ourselves in and we sometimes handcuff ourselves to these beliefs and these uh, institutions that were that were never meant to hold up like past the time. And that's where I think we really hurt ourselves. And I think what I love about this is we are, if we open our mind to things, we can constantly be seeing changes. But if we hold ourselves to absolutes, we're going to be immovable. Like, you know, it's, and and you can take that into something uh, in sexuality where it's sort of like this, I think right now we've, we've taken a long time to embrace certain things in, in gay culture. I think now like we're wrestling so much with trans culture, but it's like, it's, we are uh, evolving and people are feeling more free and the, the world is being connected more and people are, stories are being able to be told. And, and, but we, but there's such a fear of like, well, no, that's different. That's different. And I'm afraid of that. And we are, we always are coming from, but it's not what I, I read the thing and that's all I need to know. And we don't want to go past it. So I feel like what this, what this does represent are, the 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 real battle of people who are open to a world evolving around them and evolving with the world versus people who are like, I want it to always stay the same because it's easier when it's the same. I know what the rules are. Right. And because when change happens here, people get chaotic. People mm-hmm. get really chaotic. People have a hard time dealing with change. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, honestly, I felt really seen in the Jodie Foster character and like her approach to wonder in the world, I guess, is how to like explain it. Cause I was going to say it felt like, it felt like this movie would be right up your alley. It does. Like I think about this moment, you know, when my mother, when I, when I finally was like very clearly, like I am not a religious person, mm-hmm. you know, of the way that you raised me, I, she got very sad. And I remember her telling me like, I feel so bad that you will never like feel that sense of like awe and hope that I do. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I completely do. Like I actually really I feel that I actually feel that sense all the time because I, of how much I love nature and science that like the fact that we exist at all, you know, that we evolved from single celled organisms and like we managed to be here and like we are alive because like all of our ancestors like mated and had us. The idea that this planet is here, the idea that there are other planets out there, the the sense of scale of the universe is like such a natural place to find awe and to find hope in the fact that we're alive and to feel like a responsibility to be a good person since we're here. And I, I feel like there is no, I feel like there is no basic incompatibility, incompatibility between science and spirituality for that reason, that they go, just go together really hand in hand. And so, I mean, that scene where like Jodie Foster in here is like going through the wormholes and she is really like seeing that awe that she has always known is out there, but like really seeing it. I mean, that is to me, I think one of the nearest moments a film has ever had to showing that feeling and to showing that sense of like, whatever it is out there, it is big and it is beautiful and it is amazing. I mean, I want to just like play that scene because Mm. I think that is one of the holiest scenes I've ever seen in cinema. I mean, I have to watch a lot of faith-based movies for work, like where, you know, a magic tree heals a kid's broken arm or like whatever. But mm-hmm. like that, this feels special to me. No, no words, no words <laughs> to describe it. Bullish me. I should have said 
the poet. So beautiful. I want to talk about that scene a little bit too, because you know what's so interesting there is they also do something that I think is very clever and probably a little bit missed, where it's like the succession of colors in that space tunnel match the colors of chakra points, right? Which is like they start with red, which is materialism, and then it reaches gold, which is enlightenment. Uh, and the classic kind of idea of like this. Uh, like the chakra being like this wheel, like the center of energy inside the human body. So it's like, I love that that is also in this film too. Like this idea of like, you know, em- you know, not just embracing like uh, a Western religions a little bit. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's subtle, but it's there. I appreciate that. I didn't catch that. What does it mean to you when the compass breaks loose and she gets it? Because I was trying to figure out what that what that part of her trip was supposed to mean. Well, I guess there's a couple of things I can look at there. It's the aliens trying to protect her, right? The aliens are like looking over at her and or some sort of unexplained spiritual presence is saying like, because it, it was important to her. That was something that, and by the way, we talk about this, yes, she fucked him four years ago, but she carried that compass with her for four years, That's right, that he gave her. And, and, and she might not be a person who, like, has time for a romantic relationship, but it meant something to her when they did have that time. So anyway, that, you know, is, is it the energy of Matthew McConaughey in the world, like, his reverberations out, like, because basically it saves her life. Like, that... That saves her life. Um, and she spoke of that early on. She's like, they didn't say, put a chair there. They didn't say this. And they're like, you need to do it. So it's an unex. I think what's there is it's an unexplained phenomena. Like, is it God? Is it energy? Is it, you know, is it her mother? Is it her father? Like, you know, because, you know, her dad said, you're going to need a bigger telescope or you're going to need a bigger, whatever, satellite to contact your mom. All these ideas are out there. Um, or is it just simply the pull of gravity in this tunnel? You know, I don't know. But I think that that, that moment is there to make you go, it's unexplainable. What, why? Why was she saved? She should have been killed. I appreciate that they don't explain it. Yeah, they don't I appreciate need that she never turns to McConaughey and she's like, your compass saved my life. Yeah. Because like your compass pointed me in the right direction. It's a beautiful moment that wrestles with this question. She's an atheist, but I don't think she's like, but she's not, right? Because she says in that meeting, she's like, I, some version of, I'm looking, I'm, show me something and I will, like, if, if something comes up, I will believe it. I will go for it. So in that moment, there is something that shows up that she can't explain. And maybe it is this or maybe it's that. Like, there's so many things you can't explain in that last section of the film that you just have to take on faith um, that that she didn't, you know, that, that that all happened. The only person who knows for sure that she went, the only person 
it are those two people at the end who go, the, you know, the tape recorded for 18 hours and they're going to hide it because it's too scary. The real information is scarier than the idea that we are insignificant or we are just one of many in the world, you know, and like, I, they are also at the end making a decision like we're going to go on faith. We'd rather not have concrete information. It's easier for us not to, I don't know, I don't know. Like, you see that too? I mean, like that idea, like, because they could have said, wait, it recorded for 18 hours. That makes no sense. Let's get into it. But it's easier to to say she didn't do it than it is to be open to, well, maybe I'm now contradicting myself. I'm all over the place. Well, I have to say, I went through kind of a crazy zone where I was like rewinding part of that part of the movie over and over again, because, okay, when she gets on the spacecraft, Mm -hmm. Her hair is in a very tight French braid. Yeah. Which I noticed because her hair is a big part of this movie. She's always pulling it back and putting it down and pulling it back and putting it down. Like one of the scientists that they interviewed, she actually said that Carl Sagan was like, tell me why you have long hair because most other female scientists I met have short hair. And so her hair feels like this character. So she has a tight French braid when she goes into the spacecraft. But when she's on the planet, she's in a low base of the neck braid that's kind of falling apart. It doesn't look like her French braid got loose. It looks like a different braid. Now, I started to go insane because I was like, is there a meaning to her braid? Like, and then when she goes back into the future, you don't get a good look at the back of her braid, but it does look a little bit higher in the in her crown. So it doesn't, it looks like it went back to a messy French braid. Mm-hmm. Some sort of in-between braid of these two stages. I don't know. I was trying to figure out if there's any sort of clue in the braid. Well, does she need, was she even there? Like what even, what, I mean, I guess like they show her kind of poking and prodding on this like kind of like yeah. bubble. But even, I guess my thought is like, well, this is maybe, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud because I haven't really thought about that much, but like, is there a world where her consciousness could have traveled and her body stayed here? Like her consciousness traveled through space, but not, but I guess in that, you know, but no, but then the tape recorder, I don't know. I mean, um, I love how they capture the surreality of where she lands. Yeah. That, like, the little things they do. That the, the water in the ocean is running backwards to let you know that it's not exactly right. Mm-hmm. Or that the sound mix, the way they mix the beach scene. That at any given time, you hear, like, one of the elements of a beach. Like, you might hear the tree or you might hear the ocean, but you don't hear them all at once. So that you're aware that something is off besides, like, well, the neon purple saturation. But it's also her drawing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, but it is like, also her drawing. Yeah, so it's yeah. like it's also like it's like it's like her. It's like they tried to like create, like through her everything in her mind. Like this is what like it's it's a perfect representation of like how you might picture something or like how all right here are all the elements and they they furiously kind of put this together because it was interesting that like that was the that was her happy place, even though it really represents nothing in her life. Yeah. It feels a little mean that they come to her in the form of her dad. Like, guaranteed to be the one form that nobody will believe her. What other form is, like, they want to bring her comfort, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, that's that to me is the person that she, that gave her everything. And also the person that I think that she feels that she killed on some level. Like, she felt like, I think she does take it into, into, into heart that she didn't have the pills upstairs or whatever it was. You know, she mentions that at one point. Like, I mean, and maybe that's a little bit more, but it's also like they're healing her on some level too. She gets to have this moment, but they're also very forward. It's like, I'm not your dad. Yeah. She or knows she, it. she calls it before. He yeah. Does, yeah. Yeah. But I love that. It's like, it's not like, they're not trying to trick her. He's like, and they're like, no, no, no. Yeah. We know. We're just like, this is, 
we thought this is like, it's almost like, you know, when someone gets you a gift, it's like, well, I know you like this and that, so I thought maybe you'd like this. It might be fun. You know, it's like, it's not perfect, but it's something. Maybe they thought that we were more trusting than we are. Because she's like, they need to see this. And he's like, nah. But she's like, she's she knows that it'll be hard. And they're like, it'll be fine. They'll, they'll trust you. We, we yeah. believe in humans. Although, I mean, this might be a moment just to say, like, that mirror shot when her dad dies, where she's like running for the pills and she's like running around the house and up the stairs. And you like suddenly realize that what you're watching is in the reflection of a bathroom mirror as she throws it open. That, I like read an article about how they did that shot. I still didn't understand it. It's just like incredible. That shot is like top 10 shots, I think, in movie history. Um, I think what they have that character say to her, though, is really sweet about like humanity in your species. I guess they it seems like they are saying your planet is a bit of a hot mess. Maybe they don't mm-hmm. know how much of a hot mess. We didn't know how much of a hot mess we were. We're pretty hot mess. He at least admits it. You're an interesting species. An interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams. And such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost. So cut off. So alone. Only you're not. See, in all our searching, the only thing we've found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other. But I think I think that's sweet. And I like I like her when she's on the stand and she's like, I wish everybody could feel that awe and humility and hope. And she seems to just really she seems to really want it to really want it. Oh, and yeah. then she goes aside. Did you notice this about her relationship with with Matthew McConaughey? Every time they're talking outside, there's a giant phallic thing behind them. Every single time. It's usually the, the Washington Monument. They have like three conversations where the Washington Monument is like right behind them. But then they also have a conversation where there's a giant antenna right behind them. They're just always surrounded by these giant dicks. That's hilarious. I did not notice that. Uh, it's really weird. Well, it's, I mean, I, maybe the idea being like they're always around male energy. You're very good at spin. Huh? Yeah. Well, but I, but I would say that, you know, there is something very uh, feminine about Matthew McConaughey in this movie. Like, Matthew McConaughey is playing the stereotypically female written role. Like, if you swap the genders, it would work. Like, yeah. it would, you know, like, on some level. Like, that rela- just that relationship. Yeah. Because, like, you know, she leaves him in bed. She doesn't call him. She kind of blows him off. Uh, you know, and he's like, I want you to stay. I believe in you. Like, I support you. Like, you know, and it, so there is like an energy too, like of this masculine energy is surrounding this thing of like, I'm, we're going to get there. We're going to be the number one. We're going to take over. I'm taking your credit. I'm taking, so there's this constant energy that they're just, they're constantly being surrounded by. I guess that's why he was like, you know what? I played the quote-unquote girl part. Now I have to make Interstellar. Now I have to be the well, one. Well, I mean, there, there's such a clear connection between Interstellar and this. And and while I enjoyed Interstellar, I don't think Interstellar is half as effective as this movie is. Yeah, I don't think so either. Because I think Interstellar leans into the goo when this one yes. leans away from the goo. Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I think that it's surprising for Nolan to be more goo than than Zemeckis. You know, I don't know. It's it this movie is really one that I I'm so happy to revisit because I felt at first when I put it on it was going to be a slog and then I from that opening that we spoke about and this idea like yes all the you know all the science here the acting is really good 
uh, I think they do a great job of grounding it. But this idea of we are always talking about faith and we're always talking about, we're talking right now about UFOs. What are UFOs? Are aliens here? Like, there's so much going on in our world, things that we can't describe and we're always looking for answers for. Like whether or not, like I know that we'll, we'll eventually get to an, an answer to where the coronavirus originated from. But this idea of like, I think time and time again, whenever there is a, a giant something, coronavirus, 9-11, millions of other things. We, conspiracy theories pop up because we cannot believe that we are so uh, susceptible to something that could be so uh, catastrophic. And, and so this movie is sort of embracing that idea that we are smaller than what we think we are, you know, and, and uh, we have to make it a conspiracy theory. We have to make her a liar. We have to make... If we look at ourselves as being small, can we ever recover from that? You know, I think that like this idea like we're always kind of putting a spin on something to make it simpler. Oh, it's it's just this crazy old man. He created a fantasy. He brainwashed her. We brain we everything is a lie. Blah 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 blah. Over. And you know, one of the cool things in the book that's different than the movie is when she comes back in that pod. There's a little bit of sand in the pod. Um. But in here, it's the the 18 hours. And maybe, I don't know if it's 18 hours and the sand. But uh, but I do think it's interesting because it's like, the sand is so concrete. I like that the static is the thing at the end. Because the static means nothing, but yet it represents everything. Okay, then. Well, like, then on that note, last, like, maybe this is too deep of a, of a connection. You know how, like, when her dad dies, there's the popcorn scattered on the floor? Mm-hmm. I was like, is that the same pattern of the sand in her hand? That kind of quasi Big Dipper ship? Are they doing anything with the popcorn scatter or am I just losing my mind like I did with the braids? I love it. I love that, you know, maybe that was, by the way, if we're talking about this is a world that they created, that would be a memory. Ooh. I was like, you know, I know I've been like a little bit wishy-washy, but I think it's an interesting, I think whenever you have a conversation about faith and religion and it, it, like, I'm working it out as I'm talking to you too. So I hope I wasn't too, like, I think there's so much in here that I, that, you know, we've watched so many movies on the show that very rarely do we get to have a movie that is, uh, that really kind of tackles something like this. this is, it feels very much like a great adaptation of a novel, which is so hard to do because these are theories that I think are better experienced uh, on the page. But yet Zemeckis was able to like kind of make them come to light with these characters and maybe and maybe to the daffiness or maybe all these characters are a little bit more arch in a way to help illuminate these things. But we're, you know, this is a movie that doesn't use voiceover to show us what our characters are feeling or going through. And they may simplify some things but I think in that simplification of these things, they're able to actually represent more. And I feel like we may have dealt with this a little while ago, and I can't remember what film, but it's really interesting when you want to make a film that is a metaphor, you have to kind of make your characters a little bit more bald. Yeah, like George Miller wanted to add the Pope into this movie. He was like, that's what, like his version was going to have a big Pope character. Hmm. But like Carl Sagan, he once said that he thought it would be really great if like kids grew up taking really well planned out science fiction classes yeah. that like he, he thought of science fiction as a gateway to getting people to care about these topics and to getting people to care about science. And I think like that he wrote this one, it was his only novel that he wrote Yeah, that I think he tried to see it in place of a, of a, of a work of fiction that could also create real conversation. 
Yeah. Which I think is, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I guess I like, maybe we'll apply that lens to the next of the movies that we're going to be doing in this series. I love that. And now I would say, going back to where we first started, you know, you looked at the Rotten Tomatoes score, you saw it was 66, which is not super high, but we were saying maybe it is a Forrest Gump reaction. Like what, what are the reviews here of this movie? What's the, the normal thing that people are saying? Yeah, I, I really do feel like there's a Forrest Gump kind of gut, gut recoil. So the, the review that I picked is um, from Time Magazine, uh, and it's by Richard Chickle, who we've had a... I like it because he writes really mean stuff, and I think mm-hmm. he's wrong all the time, but he writes well. Uh, so Richard Chickle wrote, The movie Contact is something like one of those mysterious asteroids that get the astronomers all worked up. A large body of gaseous matter surrounding a relatively small core of solid substance. You would not, however, characterize it as hurtling through space to the to a theater near you. It proceeds very slowly through many banal deliberations about cosmic enigmas to a comfortably reassuring conclusion in which scientific humanism and vaguely uplifting religiosity are squishily reconciled. Um, he does compliment Jodie Foster in, I think, the perfect kind of 90s film guy compliment. He just says she's very attractive here as a stubbornly obsessive scientist. Jeez. Oh, <sighs> Um, he's disgruntled a lot with the character of Matthew McConaughey. He says that he's a guy that you wouldn't want to trust with a church collection plate who also happens to be right. And that because he's right, he feels like the success of Forrest Gump has made Zemeckis Hollywood's philosopher king, who gives audiences a nice, easy road to spiritual uh, fulfillment. And then he mocks Zemeckis for congratulating himself on have, on making an intellectual challenging movie. Um, and he says, what does that say about audiences if this is a hit that's too depressing to contemplate? You know, I, I, I mean, the idea that Forrest Gump is philosophical to me is the, the most egregious thing that that was said in that article. Uh, it's like, really? Uh, Forrest Gump is not a phil. I mean, I don't think this movie is a feel-good movie. I think this movie is a Trojan horse. I think that this movie does have a lot of elements that feel like a traditional four-quadrant, big, tentpole summer movie. Um, but it is capturing all these other elements as well. Um, and I think actually... Where the movie probably fails is because he didn't waver, because he didn't lean into the schmaltz. It retains its scientific center. And I think that is probably a little bit jarring to people. If you're not willing, I think preconceived notions can be a big thing. And I, I feel like that this movie only ages better with time as you get further and further away from every idea of when it came out because it does feel a little bit timeless it doesn't feel to me like a movie that came out in 1997 like the, the effects everything works really nicely wait that just reminded me of the i think the movie's one flaw mm-hmm. besides me being weird about Matthew McConaughey, is actually right at the ending when i feel like he walks back everything he just did in that film right because like right. the what happens right at the end is she is now like inspiring young kids the way that like Sagan like to do. Yeah. Um, and then one of them asks her if there's aliens on other, on the other planets. And this is what she says. Are there other people out there in the universe? <sighs> That's a good question. What do you think? Huh? I don't know. It's a good answer. Skeptic, huh? Well, the most important thing is that you all keep searching for your own answers. I mean, that to me, like what she just went to space and now she's going to come back and tell this little kid who probably read about her, like knowing that space happened. And she's like, I don't know. You have to make up your own mind about it. Like what? Like she knows the truth. Right. Like 
this like both sidesism about like maybe she walks back whether or not she actually did go to space to this little kid. Mm-hmm. That's weird to me. Like, why did that movie have to end with a both sidesism moment? Well, I mean, maybe that's is that the issue then? Like, it doesn't pick a side. Is in that that why people are mad? Should it have been more stringent? Maybe. I mean, I think if it had just. I think if that kid just didn't ask her that question, or what if she just literally wouldn't wait to like the one little mantra, like it'd be a waste of space. But her being like, you get to make up your own mind about whether or not there's life on other planets. That's not at all who she is. She's like, no, I found the truth out. Like making up your own mind about about it. What but about a scientific I, fact? I don't know. I don't like I, it. I, I think she's unsure. I think that she doesn't have any proof and they are holding that proof from her. This person had this experience that they know is true, but they can't prove it. There's nothing to prove it. Maybe it's, and that would make you crazy. On some level, it would make you crazy. It, it goes back to that, that question. Can you show your love of your father? She cannot show anything. She can tell you I had this experience, but she doesn't know about the 18 hours of uh, footage. And the world doesn't believe her. She believes in it. And now she is as fringe as... Anyone who believes that they have seen, you know, the Virgin Mary or God in their cornflakes, whatever it is, like she is in that same boat. She has to now say, well, I believe that I did, but she's not telling him the kid. She's actually doing the cool thing. I think she's saying to him, you make up your own mind. You figure it out. I'm not going to answer. Okay. The you make up your mind is what I don't like, because that implies that this kid his opinion matters. May I, if there but is all a of compromise, our matter. no, but not really, not on this. Like, I think maybe she, if she had said, we're still working on finding it out or like your generation can pick up the torch and like research it, but not like your own point of view is what counts. But doesn't it? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that we all live our lives by our own points of view, right? Like, I mean, it's like, like, you know, you were saying, I'm not very religious. Well, if someone t- told you, like, well, if, if something like, you know, like, if I told you, like, Amy, I actually had an experience with God. You're wrong. You have to now prove me right. Like, you'd be like, fuck, no. I mean, that's what you're ex- basically telling her to tell this kid. Yeah, but... I n- no. We're only no, it in feels the first. Different. It feels different because why? she's acting like there will never be an answer that like only you, uh, an individual, can guess your best answer. And well, I don't. I don't believe that she believes that. I think that she doesn't know what she believes. I don't know if she know. I don't think at the end of the movie she knows whether or not she definitively went to space. I think that she believes it in her whole heart. But as a scientist, there's no proof. There is, but she doesn't know that. But like, there is no proof to her. So as a scientist, she's got to live by her same morals that she's set up in that that hearing. I don't have any proof. I could tell you what I think, but it's not proof. So why am I? You go now, figure it out too. Well, she told him to be a scientist. I would take it differently, but she okay. made it sound like he could just go ahead being a little a little kid, and like, I think that's all he needed to do. That he had all the information inside of him, which I don't believe. I, I I believe that that actually is a very fitting last line to the film because it is about what you believe and, 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 and maybe what the last line is saying is she's not creating 
his belief. Like, I think a lot of people who have belief want to tell you that's wrong. That's wrong. Like, look at abortion, right? Abortion rights. And, and well, the Bible says, and this is wrong and that's wrong. Like, make up your own mind. Make up your own mind about it, right? If you look at that, like, like what is what is right or wrong about having an abortion? I could say that I have a opinion about uh, I have an opinion about uh, uh, abortion on a uh, a national level. I probably have an opinion about abortion on a personal level. Like you know, like and I probably would have a different opinion. Like who knows, right? But it's this like isn't it's like abortion. This is the existence of life in other planets. But it's a belief. There's no like if she came back and and like if she if they were like. But I guess what I'm saying is. But, People at the end, believe. but the, it's not ultimately a belief. There's an answer. But there's nothing to back up her answer. Yeah, I mean, there might not experience. be an answer that you know today, but there is an, at least an answer. The answer is we don't know. But you can find out. But not, but but not we, whatever but, you believe is okay. All right, so, so like, say like this. You, if we're not following, if, if this movie is about uh, James Woods, right? And we're just watching from James Woods' point of view. You would go, you would go and go. Oh well, yeah. The 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 Bill Gates guy created this thing, and it wasn't actually real, and that was the whole thing, and blah 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 blah. Like, like we are in her first person POV. So we, everyone has a POV that's very different and have a reason why they believe certain things. So I think what she, I mean, it's like she's not forcing her belief on anyone else because she can't prove it. The minute she could prove it, if she came back with sand, she'd be like, I met aliens. This is what they said. She's already said what she her experiences. And at the end, when they say, can you prove it? She's like, I can't. I want to believe that it happened. I want to know that it was there, but I can't. They were like, we watched you fall through the hoop. We watched it to everyone on Earth with the millions of cameras. It went. That was it. I just think it's like, like if, if you, if I got like hit by a car and I had this amazing experience with a relative that was passed and I came out and said, I saw them like, well, actually I think you were concussed because of like, well, no, but I felt it. I was there. They said this to me. They said that to me. Well, no, you know, your body was shaking so much that you, this is probably a thing. Like there is no proof there is. And that's how the, that's where the movie ends on a positive note is that, as an audience, we are privy to the fact that it is real. But what is sad is she is not. She never knows that there's 18 hours on that thing. She's left in the dark. I think that is sad. I just still don't believe that she would tell that kid that there is never going to be a reconcilable answer. She doesn't say that. She said it would she be does. a shame. She said it would be a shame if it was, right? But that's she's how she like, eh. that's what her dad, but that's what her dad said to her, and she went fucking went to space. Her dad didn't her dad didn't say there are aliens in the world. Go find them. He said it would be a shame. And what did she do? She devoted her entire life to it and went and visited aliens. So what she is giving the same exact advice that her dad gave to her that made her make contact. So what she's saying to this kid is what made her make contact like that's the same advice. I don't know why it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> like it really did. I, I don't know. I guess I, didn't I hear see you. that kid becoming a scientist. I just thought of being like, cool. My own opinions are important and they matter more than anything else. Uh, no, I think she was like, to me, that line is exciting. That line is like, that line is, it would be a shame if it like, it would be like, you're like, wow. I guess like when I think about it like that, like when I truly think like, how is it even like, yeah, it would be like, a lot of space, a lot of wasted space, or whatever the line is. A lot of wasted space. Uh, 
Wait, wait. You'd have, or what was it? Well, I forget. I, mean, I know I know the gist of it. I'm, and I'm yeah. sorry as people write it. It'd be a real waste of space. But wait, do you, Paul, believe in aliens? I believe that there could be something out there. Yeah, absolutely. You added I, a could. Do you believe in aliens? Well, I don't, like, I guess this is the question. It's like, oh, well, this is an interesting question. Now I'm wrestling with it too. It's like to, to, to say definitively, I will say this. I'm going to say right now on the record, there is definitely life in the universe. I don't know what that life is. I don't know what the, there is life in the universe. It, it is too crazy. But now I'm going into like the, that we are the only living creatures in the universe. We haven't even explored the universe yet. We haven't even gotten to, we haven't reached the far reaches of it. We don't even know where it goes. We haven't, we're just learning about black holes or where our, our tools and technology are growing. You know, like, I, I believe that there is more to explore. I believe that there is going, we've already found life on Mars, you know, and we will continue to find life. And we life. might have found something in Venus. But I mean, that's all I'm saying is like, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. But I, 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 I believe that it is possible based on what everything that we've seen. And by the way, it is possible. There is life on other planets. We know that to be true. That's the fact. Aliens? I don't know what aliens are. I mean, yes, sure. If aliens are life outside, we have aliens then. Aliens, like, but I think people think of aliens as like green, you know, fucking, you know, big headed whatevers. Yes, I do. I'm, I'm going to say I do. I'm going to say I do, but I can't explain it. I can't tell you anything more. You'd be like, well, prove it. I can't. I could just say like, it just feels like there's too much out there that we don't know to make a definitive opinion about it. Like if you ask me if there's an alien in a book, I can say, no, there's no alien in a book. I've read the beginning, middle and end of it. And no, there's no alien in it. But there's no beginning, middle and end of the universe or exploration. So I can't answer that question. Definitively. I think you gave, I'm going to say that you gave me a definitive yes. I believe in a definitive yes. Okay. So there it is. But I say it would be a shame if there, there wasn't. Let's do an alien movie. Let's do a proper right. alien movie next week. I mean. I love it. I love we, that we saved our, our, our hottest take for the, the last second of the episode. <laughs> well, it's just like the Big Bang. Let's go uh, out big and hot. Um, uh, well, then, yes. So we pitched it to the listeners. We kind of narrowed it down to alien aliens and starship troopers, put it forth into the atmosphere for you guys to decide. It was a pretty resounding alien. So we yes. are excited to do alien next week. I cannot wait uh, I'm so excited about this. And uh, let's take a listen to the trailer. Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there. Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. Why? She's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise. They have. Like what? Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon that uh, repeats at intervals of 12 seconds. SOS. I don't know. Human. Unknown. Can't see a goddamn thing. Ash, can you see this? I've never seen anything like it. Alien is available wherever you want to 
stream, rent, go to your public library. They even have a digital version of your public library. So check that out as well. Amy, a pleasure to be back. Sorry for the delay, everybody. Uh, and uh, we will get back on track onto space. And uh, it's been so much more fun making the audience such a big part of this. And you continue these conversations with us on the forums. Uh, we have our official Facebook forum, but we also have uh, on my Discord, discord.gg slash Paul Shear, there's an unspooled area uh, where you can jump in there. There's also a Discord for unspooled. We have a brand new T-shirt based on Amy's suggestion of uh, my face as the moon with a rocket in my eye. Uh, that is up in our store. If you go to tpublic.com slash store slash unspooled, you can check that out. And we're looking for more T-shirt designs. So come on in and, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a, a contact inspired shirt or something fun. I adore that. I adore that. And I want to know if you guys believe in aliens. Ooh, if you can that. give me a definitive yes... I want to hear your definitive yes. If you can give me a definitive no, all right, all right, I'll listen to that argument too. I'll listen. I'm curious. Although I, I am secretly it. hoping that like unspooled listeners are like 100% yes, there are aliens. <laughs> all right, uh, Amy, we'll see you next week for Alien. Alien.